0: Drew
1: morning how's it going?
0: It's going really good so I'm gonna give everybody a bit of a warning. there's about a five second delay between us and Drew so I'm gonna do my very very best to put a pause in there and not step over you but thank you very much for joining us. I'm really excited and I I, I gotta tell you I am so honored. <laughs> I truly am. I'm not trying to be a fanboy or anything like that but uh, our veterans are amazing. you guys are amazing i'm very very pleased to have this time with you drew so if you don't mind why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, we'll get on
1: with the things sure well thank you very much uh for having me uh so my name is i go by drew uh, uh but my name is andrew McGilvery. i was born and raised in uh scarborough in ontario just outside of the hood there so a little bit of a rough uh, upbringing, but I joined the uh, Canadian Armed Forces as a as a naval warfare officer. I uh, did uh, three high readiness deployments uh, overseas. I uh, specialized in uh, boarding operations. And um, yeah, I was taking a bit of a break from the ops level and I was in recruiting and I saw what was happening there and how the uh, they were forcing the woke uh, nonsense on the military. And uh, I said that, you know, as a I could no longer in good conscience recruit young uh, Canadian men and women into this uh, iteration of the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, so I got out and I retired in uh, 2021. And uh, yeah, I was just sitting at home at my farm and and then uh, Tom Morazzo, who was at the convoy called me and pretty much uh, uh, changed my life since then. So that's, uh, that's uh, who I am in my history in, in a nutshell.
0: So Tom's the one that reached out to you because you you guys go back as veterans. Uh, you, he was part of your group. Uh, how, how did you know Tom, and then why did he choose you to pick out? Do you know what? Do you know why he called you?
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I his uh, previous wife there. I worked with her at the recruiting center in uh, in Toronto, and then I'd met him uh, prior to. And, um, I'm a ops heavy or operations heavy guy. So, okay. you know, from like a tactical, so the, just quick, the military has three levels, you have your strategic level, your operational level and your tactical level. So the tactical level is like the boots on the ground stuff. So I have a fair bit of experience at the tactical level, like actual experience overseas, and then I have a decent amount of operations level or operations level experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so he called me specifically because they needed some help at the convoy from the uh, operation. So I don't know if I got cut out there, but
0: no, we kind of got you. They needed help on the operations level. So when you're talking operations level in the middle, yeah. So they needed help
1: on, on the operations level. level.
0: And, and what does that mean more? Yeah, sorry, it was, it was like uh, mindset.
1: Yeah, so it was it's sort of like middle middle management and giving guidance to the you know, boots on the ground or the truckers or the people of of where to go, providing them with information and uh, updates and and that sort of thing. So that was uh, the role that I played uh, at the convoy.
0: So would you be in charge of any supplies or were you more in charge of morale and information and and structure? So you would have been the guy that maybe they came to and said, hey, look, we want to move 50 trucks. How do we do that? Would that be somebody that, that they speak to you about?
1: Yeah, so I, I was working on the truck ops uh, side with another guy named uh, Jeff, who's a good dude, uh, over there, and it was providing uh, you know accurate information uh, to the different block captains and the truck captains. And um, but they, it, it's you know, I, I don't want to sort of crap over everyone, but the they they needed some of that, but they didn't need too much. Like it was a truly organic mm-hmm. grassroots uh, movement nothing you know they the Jerry cam march, that sort of thing that wasn't organized by anyone of the you know, the management or the headquarters that sort of thing. That was all done by the actual Canadians and, and truckers on the ground. Mm-hmm. so they didn't need too too much of that and um, it was it was pretty interesting to watch uh, how people adapted and, and what they did to to keep the the protest going. And, uh, so we, I, you know, I don't just want to, don't want to overstate, uh, my contribution, uh, there, um, you know, because it was the actual people on the ground, I'm going to give a shout out to a guy named Carl, uh, he knows who he is. And he, that guy was so creative and organizing and that was all done at the, at the tactical level. So there wasn't too much need other than a daily meeting and getting some information out to the truckers, uh, for, for the headquarters on our end.
0: Okay, so we, we've chatted with Tom Morazzo a couple times now, and one of the things that uh, he identified as his role was to coordinate the information for p- new people. that came. So if a new trucker came up, they wanted to have the, have the correct information, where to park, don't block the roads, leave a lane open, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so were you part of that as well? Is, is that why you think Tom reached out to you, is to help coordinate uh, the messaging and, and get the information out?
1: Yeah, definitely. So he, I think he he had a lot going on, and he needed someone who could speak the same language, uh, someone who he could trust, uh, where he knew there was no ego or anything involved. It was all about uh, achieving the uh, the mission. Uh, so that's why uh, he brought it. Uh, uh, he brought me in, and that sort of re- uh, removed that uh, from his plate. And then he focused on some of what we call the up and up and out stuff, and dealing with some of the senior organizers. But yeah, it was basically when people come. You need to get them accurate information there was so much misinformation and disinformation mm-hmm. and conspiracy theory stuff there um and i would say probably about 95 percent of the intelligence that was being sent to us was untrue and people would get all spun up and and that sort of thing so we were just trying to get accurate information uh out to the truckers um and and give them updates because the big thing uh that causes operations to fail is communication that is like your Achilles heel all the time. Yeah. So we needed to get accurate information to the truckers. So they, they knew what was going on. They knew what was happening uh, from the organizers and, and that sort of thing. And there wasn't just sort of hearsay and uh, rumors being spread uh, amongst truckers. Cause that was so, it was so frustrating to, to deal with that stuff, you know, because, it was like someone come up to you, like, "Hey, you have to talk to this guy. You have to come. It's so important. You need to come speak to this guy." It's like, okay, so you go in, you sit down with the room, this guy, and he's like, "Okay, I know who killed JFK." And it's like, "Oh my God, stop with that stuff. We don't need that. It's irrelevant to to what's happening here." So um, there was there was two layers that got added to the convoy. Not saying they were bad, but they added to the complexity of the situation. And that was like the truther conspiracy theory uh, mm-hmm. layer, as well as there was a religious layer as well uh, that it just added some complexity to, to the confroy from my perspective.
0: Yeah. And I would actually say there might've been a third layer, which would have been the quasi legal where people think they know the law and they're trying to tell people what the law is and they're just off uh, or that makes it more complicated when they misrepresent the actual law, or even the value, or not the value, but the power of the charter and stuff like that. So in addition to the misinformation, um, I think even uh, a misunderstanding of rights laws, on both sides, by the way, I don't even want to say it's on one side, um, mm-hmm. that might have added some complexity to it as well. Is that something you guys kind of ran into?
1: Yeah, th- that, that area was pretty, pretty muddy. Um, and, you know, I, I won't say the person's name, but I, I got pulled out to a certain area to talk to this like cat lady nut job and she basically told me that if we had moved everything off of the sidewalks cleared everything and just put it onto put all the trucks and all the equipment and all the tents and everything onto wellington that the ottawa police would not be able to touch us and like within 30 seconds of her opening her mouth i'm like yeah this lady's crazy But you'd go around and tell people this stuff and then people would come to tell us and your biggest sort of most important resource and this sort of thing is time so you're getting your time consumed by just a bunch of nonsense and people coming and talking to you and this and and uh yeah so there was i agree there was definitely a legal uh layer to that that was uh that added the complexity of the operation
0: Absolutely. And yeah, Donald's laughing. So I'm about to go to you here too, but uh, because that absolutely even happens with us. We have people showing up with vanilla envelopes. We have people telling us. Oh, the defense lawyers must be stupid because all they have to do is say these magic words and poof, the world changes. Um, so I can imagine that on a larger scale, at like at the convoy, this would have been an issue. And I think I know who Cat Lady is. I think I've met that person as well. So I know exactly who he's referring to. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. As someone who believes they have good intent, they're just misinformed. Uh, and because of that, they're going around passing it around. So that becomes... Uh, miss and then it depends on her intent whether or not it's disinformation mm-hmm. but donald now here's what i'm hearing i'm hearing a grassroots effort that started out in the west Tamara, chris and other truckers after they got their set, set things up started to realize that the governments are going to come out and talk you know, somebody like tom Morazzo shows up on the scenes to help out and then he reaches out to someone like drew to help coordinate things because he knows how he works and he en- understands his passion mm-hmm. for the country this doesn't sound to me like a coup. Like if they really wanted to, I don't know. I'm not going to go. Down oh, road. Uh, but, but, I disagree. But
2: I disagree entirely. The, the bouncy castles were the sign of the coup. That was, the I get sign you. Of the coup, You know?
0: Yeah. My yeah. question to you is as a police officer, if, if this group came up and said, look here, we're here to protest. Here's how we're coordinating it. We're keeping the ambulance lanes open. We are informing new people. We're talking to some that may be a little bit more trouble. We're doing our best. We don't own these people, but we can certainly talk to them. Show respect, receive respect. Is this to you sound like um, uh, a bad group, a group that's there to cause trouble?
2: Oh, no, no. But you have to remember that this group was denigrated before they even arrived by our prime minister. Now, our prime minister has met with all sorts of groups, but this one was uh, racist, misogynist, fringe minority minority. You know, all those things that he called ordinary, decent Canadians who, who had lost their jobs and their homes and some of their families. And, and that's what he did. And didn't the press step right in line? So, you know, your, your question is maybe lacks the, the framing of the police who came to it with, with this instruction from their political masters. And instead of looking at it rationally, as any police officer should and the police police organization should, um, they they viewed it through that filter of "we are here to do to implement an anti-convoy political agenda." I'm talking mm-hmm. the higher ups, and the guys on the street. Maybe they were okay with it, but in the end, didn't it didn't they use force? And brutality to to implement a political agenda, which is to move these peoples out of the way. And everyone knew that there was no there was there was no threat here. There was mm-hmm. no threat to the government. Um, you know, in, in in what we're trying to talk about overthrow the government, it was just it was just ordinary Canadians. And you saw how they pushed back and how brutal they were. But that was mm-hmm. the same all across the country. It, it really was. Uh, and as we spoke about it yesterday, I wonder if the police officers who did that would do it again. Many have yeah. regrets, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Something maybe we can talk, talk about here, but it was also not just anti-convoy it was anti-patriot. Like anybody that was patriotic, uh, they became the anti. And it's also why this is so sad because our best patriots are the, the vets and they were also vilified here. I got to tell Absolutely. you though, like if if I was in parliament, if I was in government, and I was there at the time on the government side when this was happening, I would find it as a really good sign that the vets are coordinating and assisting. There's a, a way to talk to a large group because it became a large group. Um, they're grassroots, so there isn't an actual leader that actually has command over everybody. But to see that uh, operations is being taken care of by the by the vets, people who know what operations is, trained by our own government, Uh, probably the best of the best if they're being called in by their buds I would see that as a good thing it's a good way to have a really large crowd basically policing themselves that's a good way to go about it because you would as a government have a lot of confidence of hey look I can talk to basically this grassroots patriotic movement through an organization that has some operation uh, experience that would I would think That was a positive. Unless I'm super paranoid that they're going to come and get me. If I'm paranoid, they're going to come and get me. Then I'd be very scared.
2: Well, isn't that the case? If you know what you've done to Canadians, if you know what you forced, if you know, if you realize because you're controlling it, that this, that this, this whole COVID and the lockdowns and all the response and everything was producing the largest transfer of money that the world has ever seen from the middle class. And it was going all the way up and all the palms were greased with, with, uh, contracts for uh, protective gear that didn't work and sterile swabs to do tests that were taken from a pile on the table. You've seen the photos and they put in the sterile, mm-hmm. sterile envelope mm-hmm. by a bunch of kids working and, and, and there were hundreds of millions of dollars being made. You don't look at these. Canadians as ordinary Canadians, you look at them as a threat to what you're doing. And, and the prime minister branded ordinary Canadians, patriotic Canadians, a threat. Even the media went along and, and started to say that the Canadian flag was a symbol of racism now, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. And, and over history, normally, normally they're asking for the stepping down of the leader. Normally, they're there to actually replace somebody. That's normally how these things go. But in this case, it was a conversation with him. They wanted to actually have be heard by him. They weren't even calling for him really to step down. There might have been pockets of people yelling that. Maybe Cat Lady was saying that. But uh, not necessarily the entire group. They were trying to get a message across and talk about the mandates and the overreach of the government on our health health uh, side of things. So, Dr- Drew, when when people in the crowd, not necessarily Cat Lady, but other people, started to say hey look let's call for him to step down let's ratchet this up they're not listening to us let's take this up to the next level it looked like to me that got shut down really quick um were you part of that and and did you guys want purposefully maintain the mission to just be what you're there for and didn't let it expand any further because i'm sure some people wanted that
1: yeah i'll i'll say a couple things one um the mou uh that was submitted which is what everyone who was anti-convoy is using as a you know the tool like oh this is what they were they wanted to overthrow the government and that's right of when i was there i never even heard about the mou most of the people there hadn't heard the uh mo uh, about the mou it was submitted or whatever by by a couple guys that did not represent the convoy we weren't even tracking that it was just a document that had been submitted I read it after mm. the fact and I was like oh this is a bunch of nonsense I can understand why uh it sort of tar and feathered the convoy uh with it because like just asking for their prime minister to step down so that this person can get in and like it was just <laughs> it was just ridiculous and I, I can say that the majority of people I dealt with there were not even aware of this uh, this MOU, but that's what the mainstream media and and the government were using uh, to tar and feather, and and we get we get attacked all the time. It's like, oh yeah, you guys are trying to overthrow the government. It's like, oh yeah, well if we wanted to do that, we would have brought guns. If we were,
0: and you would have succeeded. I always want to put that no on the record, did, and you right? would have succeeded.
1: <laughs> well, no, no I'm just probably saying- probably not. But but uh, uh, <laughs> they yeah, like. Uh, a well a well-trained uh, emergency response teams or like you know people refer to them as like SWAT teams they they're they're pretty effective. they're trained by the jtf two guys at the hill uh, they're no joke but none of that none of that was it, it even never was even talked about or came across people's uh, uh, you know, discussions or conversations or that sort of thing. So I, I find that, uh, funny, but that's what they're doing. They look at the Nazi flag, the Confederate flag, the Trump flag, like one instance. And they use that. To tar- mm-hmm. It's all about discrediting the convoy. They use that to tar and feather the entire, uh, the entire event. Um, now one other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, we, we were sort of the, the vets were sort of, si- we were situated out of a headquarters called the arc or the arc hotel. There was the Swiss hotel okay. and the arc hotel um there were some bad actors like we had uh some guys who were criminal biker types who came to uh the ark to try and shake down the ark for uh some cash uh and they're like oh yeah we need like ten thousand dollars or whatever it was um but they were just opportunists they saw look it's all mm-hmm. this uh you know there wasn't you know police were being stretched in and that sort of thing and we can come down and get some money. So I came face to face with one of those guys, but we were lucky because we had a bunch of vets there, all wearing our medals and big dudes and that sort of thing. So we just basically told them to f off. But there was, but that that was a very that was the only instance that we had uh, dealt with. You know, ninety nine point five percent of the convoy uh, didn't represent any sort of uh, negative or criminal elements. So there there was a little bit there, but. Uh, it, that was the only sort of instance that we came face to face with, um, now in terms of, you know, people calling for Trudeau to, to step down, that sort of thing. I didn't, I didn't hear about that too much. Uh, but if he had just, so, so basically when you have poor leadership, you know, everything else just, just crumbles. Right. And we have a feckless, uh, spineless prime minister And if they had just got together and talked with the organizers, this could, and say, okay, let's have a chat. Let's hear what your problems are. Like the two things we're there for is like drop the mandates, um, and, and, and the digital IDs and, and, and that sort of thing. Like the, the bribe can stuff. Um, that was it. That was the only sort of thing I heard. That was my understanding of the, uh, the situation. And, um, they, uh, he just ran away. He got COVID and ran away instead of, you know, taking and say, look, we've got a problem. These people, I want to hear these people out. I can go in and safely talk to the organizers and hear them out. And let's discuss, he didn't, he ran away. And and you heard that in the public order emergency commission where they were saying the provincial government was ready to go to the, the table uh, with the protesters, but the federal government tucked their tail and ran because we do have a feckless spineless, uh, i don't even want to call him a leader he's not a leader um in in my books and and he tucktailed and ran so uh it, all this it, i bet you if they come in and said look let's talk it would have lasted a week everyone would have left uh peacefully um and there would have been one been, uh, been the beatings by the police on the streets but he didn't because he's just like i said he's just uh he's just a feckless guy and he has no spine
0: uh, I agree with you on that uh, in a whole bunch of ways. Now, let me ask you, Drew, had had he opened conversation, had he talked to them and still said no, do you think this group would have accepted that if, if he sat down, explained, and let's pretend, we have to pretend because it's not the real world right now, and, and he had good information and evidence to share to support his decision, do you think everybody would have packed up and went home even without um, dropping anything because he communicated and sat down?
1: I think so yeah like I, I dealt I, I dealt with the uh you know the the sort of leaders or the people who started the convoy you know in my understanding it was Bridget Belton and Chris Barber uh who started the convoy there were some other sort of senior people there um and if they had just sat down and, and heard them out I am convinced everyone would have packed up uh and, and left and say look we've we, these are our Sort of complaints uh, that we have, and the governments sat down with us and listened to us. I'm I, I'm almost sure that the majority of people would have would have packed up and and left, and th- that's probably what we would have communicated down from the operation side to the truckers. Like, look, we've 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 made some inroads here. They've listened to us. Uh, we can probably pack up and go. But the fact that they uh, they didn't uh, was why I think the the event was prolonged.
0: Okay, cool. And uh, I'm just going to remind people about the Bridget Belton and, and the Chris Barber being the originators, because even James Bauer uh, challenges that. Uh, with my research, and as I've been in- interviewed both of them, I had Chris and uh, Bridget on, so I had a good two hours with both of them. Um, what I learned was Bridget started a slow roll bo- border crossing. That's what she was really trying to get going. She wasn't trying to do a convoy at the beginning, and uh, Chris uh, did. So there was some people that contacted him and they talked about a convoy. They weren't necessarily talking about a massive one, but they were talking about something. And then they all kind of, because the community is very close of truckers, they kind of got put together and started to work together. And then James came along uh, as well. So there really was three different uh, groups coming together to do their own thing. So James was going to do his bear hug. uh, Chris was going to do a convoy and Bridget was going to do a slow roll at the border. And then they kind of all just, because it's grassroots and it's just dynamic, it happens, basically join together. So when people say, who started it, there really isn't a definitive answer to that. Uh, There's three different people who had three different initiatives, uh, missions, if you want to call it that, that merged at one point to create a large mission. And this is why somebody will say, like Bridget will say, I started it. And then Chris will say, no, you didn't. They're both right. they're both right they're not actually wrong they're both right uh because there was really three three missions that kind of got visualized and then it merged into one at one point um so I just wanted to put that out there because it's still even to this day <laughs> between the three of these people uh a little bit of resentment I guess on who is the originator but there isn't a originator there's really three missions that that merged at one point all right, Donald, now you're hearing some good stuff here. Um, now, I want to go to you a little bit about um, getting into the police response. Now, you mentioned here that uh, you don't think they'll do that again. So if there was another one, you don't think the police themselves... Well, I, I didn't say I don't it?
2: think they'll do it again. What I what I said was okay. there are uh, mem- many, many police officers all across this country who, in the cold light of the next morning... Look at what they did, what their organizations did, um, and, and they they won't they won't do that again. I think there are many in policing, even at higher levels, who realize that the that the trust, the public trust in the police, was virtually destroyed. Uh, you know, it had been building for a long time. Uh, we saw the police being used politically during Black Lives Matter. We saw that. The Black Lives Matter groups were allowed to break any laws they wanted, even as far as tearing down statues and and um, vandalizing public buildings, and, and and they were allowed to get away with it. The police just stood by and did nothing. And as a matter of fact, chiefs of police knelt with Black Lives Matter protesters during the lawbreaking, when, when they weren't supposed to have so many people get together and then... Uh, they were breaking the law, but the police went and knelt with them anyway, because they chose that. They chose to back that political uh, movement. Uh, as I've said before, but let some guy try and sell barbecued sandwiches while Costco's open down the street and Walmart's open down the street. Or let somebody go to church to pray. Uh, while everything else, while the liquor store is open mm-hmm. uh, and, and they've, you know, the whole insanity. People realize that, but they also realize that the individual officers somehow transitioned from community-based policing to being an overlord, to to being an occupying force, uh, doing political will. And I don't know how, I don't know how policing can ever recover from that. I'm not optimistic, but I am optimistic that many Of the police officers will not do those things again and maybe we will stand up and say no on an organizational level we'll see
0: yeah it would be great if the police union or somebody like that national police union said no we're going to make sure that we stick to the oath which has an i not a we in it and it means you need to use your discretion to do the right thing you're allowed to ignore unlawful orders as part of the oath um, so maybe not
2: according to testimony, we heard under oath at the group. Yeah. Class. That's frustrating.
0: Yeah. The RC, yeah. that was a o- o- OPS or R- RCMP who said that?
2: that, that was Ottawa police. And it was the professional standards Sergeant who investigated that entire case he's trusted by the chief all the way down. And he's the one that's, that is paid to implement, set the standards and implement the standards. And we heard from that Sergeant during sworn testimony that police officers should do as they're told that they have no right to judge whether an order is lawful or not when it's given to them. If they think it might be unlawful, they should, uh, you know, look to legal counsel and, and up, up the mast. That's incredible.
0: Yeah. No, Drew, no, Drew. I'm not saying there is another one. I have no idea if there's another one. If there was another one, would veterans be there basically on day one? Would you guys be ready to just jump back into the position of operations and and try and keep things calm again? Do you guys think you would be involved at the beginning?
1: Um, It's tough. It's tough to say. I think uh, the convoy that was a one off, you'll never uh, recreate that ever again. Um, And I don't think it's really a valuable. or it's a good use of people's funds and people's time. Um, And so what we've been encouraging, our organization has been encouraging since November of last year is like, look, you you have to have a solution based approach to what the problems are. We know that the globalists, the elites, government, whatever you want to call them, cultural Marxists is what we call them. um, They're using food as a weapon. So we've really been uh, telling people to focus on food security, uh we're sort of trying to replicate the victory garden concept from world war one world war two where the allied nations were on a uh a campaign to get their citizens to to grow their own food in the backyard uh to to either alleviate um pressure on the supply chain or to actually feed the the troops who were over in in the uk and that sort of thing Uh, so we're, that's what we're encouraging people to do. You see the pictures that get sent to us, people like, I just started gardening. They have massive yields, uh, uh, coming from their gardens and and that sort of thing. So we know they're using food as a weapon. Like Sun Tzu said, you need to put yourself in an unassailable position. So we need to take that weapon out of their hands and, and hands and bring it into your hands. So that's what, that's what we've been encouraging people, uh, to do. Um, so to try and replicate that, you know, one. You know the one-off convoy that had that support i personally think it's it's a waste of time uh and and resources and you know with the laws and stuff that were put in ontario you, you know you'd probably get arrested and, and lose your license and your truckers and, and your insurance and that sort of thing um so it's not something uh we would encourage people to do from our perspective but i assume like i like our organization represents you know couple thousand veterans uh there might be guys out there who who would would support that thing and would show up um so i can't uh i can't comment on that too much and i just i want to touch uh uh on something that donald said and this this was Mm -hmm. this was uh funny when this uh guy said it and where he was like we are a pair the ops we are a paramilitary organization or, or whatever he had he had said um and it's laughable because they, they have their emergency response teams or their SWAT, their SWAT teams, I guess. And those guys get trained by CanSoftcom or the JTF2 guys on the Hill, right? Those, and those guys are uh, uh, counterterrorism hostage rescue guys. So I was thinking about that. And I was like laughing because, you know, what happens? You, you get a bit of an ego when you get on those teams because you have higher standards. Mm-hmm. You got to be and you get to wear the, you know, high-speed tactical gear and all. and You get trained by special forces guys. But the fact that that guy said that, like, give me a break. You are not a paramilitary uh, organization. Um, you are, you know, a police force with, uh, you know, specialists who are trained. Because I've been trained by those guys. I'm a specialist. I'm not a special forces guy, but I'm a specialist like maritime tactical operations. So that, that's I've been trained by those guys. But one thing those guys teach you when you get trained by them is they teach you about humility and you don't come across as like these cocky guys and like i'm a big deal you kill people with kindness and that sort of thing it's like one of the core i think ethos of that unit but it was very concerning to hear that ottawa police guy say that um because to me this it's just like inflated ego that the guy that the guy has that they're a, they're a military or paramilitary organization or whatever he said
0: yeah, I it's, wonder if he wanted to be if he uh, if he wanted to be part of the military, and he, he went into policing, and it just kept that mentality because there's something disconnected there. Yeah, Donald, go
2: I ahead. think it's I think it's much worse than an ego. I really do, Drew. I, I think that it reflects the operational, uh, the operational thoughts and the culture of that policing organization. We see it all the time. We've seen the militarization of the police gradually creeping. And, and that's been coming for years. And also the, the 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 attitudes of people and the police officers and the organizations have been changing. But I really believe that that statement was a reflection of the police culture uh, of many organizations and individuals across Canada, not just the Ottawa police. And I, I'm very concerned about it. And it is at the root of many of the problems that Communities have that their police seem divorced from the people they're trying to protect,
0: and that's a problem. We need, we need to go back to Peel's uh, police community stuff. Yeah,
2: true. Well, Huber, we'll start with the oath first. Yes. Yeah. Why I... are you doing what you're doing? And and I I was really stunned by his testimony and what that man said because of what he represents in that organization, but he's. The professional standards investigator one of them and uh i believe that he fairly he fairly communicated what the operational culture is of the ottawa police i really think he did yeah, and,
0: and, and it's really driven on fear because they even fired some people and made people a little bit worried that they're going to be next. So, Drew, when it comes to the military, it's honour. It's their honour that they stand on, 100%. But we're not seeing these police officers do honour because they're not putting their oath first. They're not doing the right thing. They're just making sure their mortgages are paid. So that's not an honour position at all. Um, do you see it that way? And is that kind of why you think they use police and they never did really bring military in to deal with this crowd at all
1: um no not not necessarily so i can't comment too much on on the police side of the house um you know i was watching some of the guys or i just call them ERTS, emergency response teams but those guys they're in the gray they're all tacked up in, in their gear and everything but when we get trained we have you either what we call in the navy is either ops red or op screen so ops red when you're you and there's a higher threat you go in guns up uh, to make sure everything's safe, and then you sort of de-escalate once you've uh, secured the area. And then there's ops green. The ops green is when you go in with your weapons at the at the low ready, but ready to transition to ops red if if there's a threat. Those guys were going into these trucks with their with the with the guns up, and may and, you know maybe they've only had that training where they, they can just go in with guns up instead of guns down. But they were like clearing these trucks, and they're pointing their their carbines at at innocent truckers when there was no threat there was nothing and they had their guns up aimed, um, which is which is very concerning. Um, and from from the okay, though I I have uh, I have a fairly you know even though I was only a junior officer like a lieutenant navy I'm fairly well networked because of the previous unit I was at worked with strategic joint staff and DNOP and and some of these sort of strategic level organizations within the military as i was talking to at that time i was talking to a four ringer uh within within the military and he had told me that and i and i and people didn't believe me but i actually showed this text message to to people and i said look don't do not worry the military is not coming because this my this person who i knew had basically said The the federal government has come to ask them uh, for uh, a request or RFA request for assistance and the military has pushed back. And what he said to me, quote unquote, was the military. We want nothing to do with this. Nothing. And uh, they didn't even have the capability. They have these big I think they have like seven of these massive uh, machines that can move like tanks and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Only a couple of them are operational. Uh, they would have brought in, tried to bring those in to move trucks. They would have just torn up the streets. So I know from that person that the military wanted nothing to do with this. And I think that was reflected in the Public Order, Order Emergency Commission. Uh, mm-hmm. it, they're talking about the guys out in Alberta where they tried to get the military in. But the senior brass, I know from that distrusted person who told me, they said they wanted and So I was never worried about the military uh, coming in. Um, In hindsight, there was, you know, those uh, special forces planes that were uh, on top there, I think doing some of the the surveillance and and that sort of thing, you you won't be able to really, I don't think, prove that 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 happened, but uh, they were flying around. So if I was a betting man, I'd say, you know, they were doing aerial surveillance uh, through those uh, planes. Um, But you know, th- we get this a lot and it was, I was just with some people yesterday and they said, oh yeah, you know, there was UN troops there and, and that sort of thing. And this is where I talk about this. North, sort of North Bay, everybody layer. that one. No, like there wasn't, I walked, <laughs> I walked the lines uh, every single day in the morning, wake up 6 AM, walk, observe, uh, see what's going on, get the lay of the land, where the trucks were, where they were. Um, there was no UN troops uh there and they're like well they're speaking a foreign language and i was like yeah the foreign language was french it was the right uh sq or whoever from uh, quebec so it wasn't and I, and i was like i said every every morning i'd walk two hours i'd walk in see how many trucks we are see who had left where things were to sort of get the essay on on the ground there but in my opinion there was no there was no un troops there but i know everyone likes to have that, uh, you know, everyone wants to break the next conspiracy, but in my opinion, uh, there was no UN troops. It was just police from all over the, all over the country.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm glad you did that, Drew, because that is one of the ones that pops around all the time. Um, all we do know is there were planes in North Bay. That's it. Now, whether or not they were part of administration or there to be repaired or just benign, it, they're always there or whatever, uh, there's no evidence that there were UN police in, in any way, shape or form. And yeah. I've heard a lot of people say there was a lot of French. There was the only other language, French and English. So absolutely from Quebec.
1: The, the, unless things have changed in the two years that I've been out, the UN does not have a standing force, right? So what happens with the UN is they, they plan their you know missions out years in advance and they say, okay, well, we have this operation in this part of the world, we need four or five nations to sign up. We need 500, you know, soldiers, this many tanks, or whatever it is, um, to operate for you know six months in the Congo in 2026. And then they talk to all the different nations, and they uh, they say, okay, well, I'm going to our nation can provide these troops for the first roto or sorry rotation to uh, six months, and then we hand it over the next one that they don't have a standing uh like force like that like all that stuff when you see UN troops in 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 uh, Africa that's all planned out way in advance and Mm -hmm. they they basically say this is what our need is which nations can step forward and, and and fill this thing so we we get this all the time we hear people tell us oh there's 150,000 chinese troops in deep underground bases in canada wow you know hiding ready to (laughs) attack and i'm like oh my gosh it's a bunch of nonsense guys like there's no way you could feed house uh that many troops we literally have people come to us and and say that so i would say like say if i was a a betting man i would say there was no un troops in uh in uh uh, ottawa and if anyone tells you otherwise, I don't think
0: they know what they're talking about. Yeah, at best, what you can maybe extrapolate is some UN diplomats. Maybe they came over just to chat, but not troops. They certainly didn't arm anybody up and uh, put them out there that I'm aware of. So, yeah, thank you very much for for talking about that there, Drew. Anything else you want to add to that part?
1: Um, No, I'll just say sort of one overall thing. You know, we we have our organizations up over 3,000 veterans now and growing. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of guys who say, oh, they have a regret uh, that we, they were in in Ottawa supporting. There was only a couple hundred of us in there in Ottawa. And what I tell people, because people, they always brand me as like a conservative, right? Like I'm conservative, like right wing guy there, which I'm not. I'm not a conservative guy. And I tell people the reason I personally went to the convoy, the reason I went there was because I did not want to see a two-tiered uh citizenry or in canada i didn't want to see well, you had one set of citizens who were vaccinated and that sort of thing and then a second you know lower tier citizen like a dirty citizen who wasn't vaccinated. that's the only reason i went there because i was like that's not right uh that we should have that everyone should be uh treated equally and i just that's the only reason i went there uh is because i just didn't think it was fair for these people who had made their own personal medical decisions they should not be banned from grocery stores or not be able to travel and that sort of thing like that that's that's the only reason i was there because um you know just in in my opinion that wasn't right um and uh that's why i was there supporting them and i'll say what sort of one other thing because you know our, our our There's over, there's 460,000, 461,240 veterans in Canada. As of the 2021 census, Uh, we represent less than 1% of those veterans. So they they always like to say, Oh, you guys don't represent all all veterans. Like, yeah, we never said that we did. We Mm -hmm. are just representing a group of veterans who are concerned about the direction our country's heading. So I think symbolically, other than a few of us sort of in key positions, sort of helping out and, in advising symbolic the the biggest sort of contribution that the vets had there was the symbolism that hey you do have Canadian Armed Forces veterans and war veterans there who are supporting the truckers uh, a lot of it which I found out after the fact there was a lot of vets there uh, because they were poisoned by methylene which is a whole other yeah. uh, topic but there was an anti malaria drug that they forced the veterans uh, or Canadian Armed Forces members to take in Somalia and Afghanistan uh, which permanently damaged a bunch of those uh, uh, guys if you ever want to talk about the depth alice Cabana's is your your guy but um that's why they were there it's like well you poisoned us you just you you sort of said no we didn't it's it's not we didn't do anything it's it's all you guys and then those guys were there supporting the truckers because they're seeing this sort of testing of citizens on a mass scale uh and right. that's why they were there um but I, I know I mentioned this earlier, it's like sort of my biggest contribution, other than sort of trying to keep the peace amongst uh, a bunch of people who were arguing and infighting and, and ego and that sort of thing, was the day after the, the invoked emergencies act, we had an 11 o'clock meeting at the Ark, And I remember I didn't speak there most of the time. It was like my counterpart, Jeff, that did most of the speaking, but th- th- this time that meeting was packed. There was like 50 or 60 truckers and all the block captains and truck captains and that sort of thing. And I basically said, okay, I got I to say a couple of things to you. And I went on my knee in like a, as a, like a quarterback uh, in the middle of the room. And I said, look guys, if you want to leave right now, there is no shame. Everyone has a different tolerance level for violence, everyone. Mm-hmm. So if you want to leave, there's no shame in that. But I said, if we stay, we will sh- suffer short-term pain for long-term gain. I said, you know, you don't have bombs being dropped on you. You're not taking incoming enemy fire. They're not going to kill you, but you will get maybe some beatings, maybe some tear gas, pepper spray, whatever it is, but we will expose them for the tyrants that they are. And that's what you need. You need to force a tyrant to be a tyrant. And I have so much respect for those people that stayed and, and took the beatings and took the tear gas, because if everyone had just packed up and gone home, we would not uh, know the lengths that the government's willing to go um, and the measures they're gonna take against their own citizens. Uh, uh, because if we'd all just left, we wouldn't have seen all that stuff. And it was so important that they stayed. And that was probably my biggest contribution was giving that speech uh, to those truckers and and the people there, because uh, we expose them and worldwide, we expose them uh, the stuff that they're, or, or the the lengths that they're willing to go, freezing bank accounts, taking away trucker companies' insurance, and all that stuff, it was great. So was some short term pain for long term gain. And I know you see people, oh, like my bank account was frozen for three days. Oh, I was so hard done by. It's like give me a break. I've seen some people starving to death, and I've seen, seen some people in awful positions, and and just tear. And, and I, you know, it's like okay, your bank account was frozen. I get it. It's bad. But you, sh- you suffered some, some short-term pain, and look, look what it is, long-term gain, because everyone knows, and they woke up so many people.
0: Look, and you are talking about waking people up. Let me bring up a video here, because when you're talking about how you got down on one knee, let everybody know what's your pain, pain threshold. Here's what's going to come. Some people left. Some people stayed. Whew, Chris Deering stayed. <clears throat> Chris Deering stayed um let's go ahead and uh, remind everybody what we're talking about so here.
1: i just want to ask some questions about your background
3: uh really quickly so mr uh mr deering i understand that you're a veteran of the canadian armed forces yes sir and you served a tour of duty in afghanistan yes sir and i understand that you were wounded on that tour it was can you briefly tell the commissioner about that event sure i joined the military quickly in 2007 uh, finished my training very quick. I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. So in less than approximately two years, I was in Afghanistan. Uh, four months into my tour, my vehicle was hit by a IED, which struck my vehicle, sorry, it uh, blew my vehicle about 100 feet in the air, killing three occupants immediately and leaving me seriously wounded. I asked the policeman who was on both sides of me, I said, do you mind, you know my conditions, is it okay if I sit or kneel because I'm in chronic pain? It was obvious, my face was flushed and I cried multiple times and I don't cry ever. I was. It was the worst pain I had felt since I'd been blown up. The fact that I couldn't sit or stand was to me cruel and unusual punishment. We would go 15, 20 minutes without even moving. I also asked if I could have my medication, in which I had my prescription and my medication on my person so that if I needed it, I could ask. I asked and I was denied my, my, comf- my medication to comfort my duress. If I could, I'd like to speak directly to you, sir. I think uh, I'd like to ask you, and as a, as a veteran, I'm asking you that if this never happens again. You have the power of a whole country behind your opinion. Please use it to protect the Canadian people from this kind of misbehavior from this government towards its people ever again. Please, thank you.
0: Wow, what a man, what a man. And we now know that uh, Rulo did not take that advice because he really did not create any advice or re- in his report. And this is what you were talking about, Drew. This is exactly what you knew was gonna come and Chris knew it as well. I've had him on a show, we interviewed him and he said in a heartbeat, even though now that he knows what they've done, he would do it again because his entire role was to represent the people and stand up for the people. And and this is what we saw. Go ahead, Donald.
2: There's a video out there and someone put it together. Oh Canada. And it's O Canada playing over scenes of the police beating Canadians in Ottawa during the trucker convoy. And it's powerful. And you combine that with the seizing of bank accounts, with with the setups that happened down in Coots, and we saw what our government was capable of. And Drew, you're exactly right. Had we not seen that, we would not be as active, we would not be as awake as we are now as Canadians. There's still so, so many sleeping. But people had their attention. I mean, I mean, we had their attention. Then the government did that, and then the whole world saw what these governments and our government are capable of here in Canada. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they, and that's why it's so important. That's why kudos uh, to them. And yeah, my brother Chris there, uh, saw, solid guy like salt of the earth wicked dude him and his uh, wife v they're over in uh, new brunswick they're some of our core members here at v4f uh, great person great guy and and exactly they, they, they formed the line the veterans formed the line jeff uh, scotty uh, lots of our guys there well th- sorry i shouldn't say our guys v4f was formed after the trucker convoy so the hundred we we only thought it was going to be the couple hundred veterans who were at the trucker convoy we had no clue clue or the infrastructure in place to accept thousands and thousands and thousands of members and what we were going to do. Like I, I didn't think I was going to be rolling out a nationwide uh, veterans organization when we started this, but they, they held the line there. And, but the guys, they, they, they took their beats there. And that was like, the whole thing is uh, when we say, you know, we are the shield is we need to try and shield the citizenry of this country from the, the tyrannical government, the you know, the police, anyone who are going to uh, do harm um, against the citizens of our country. And and like I said, we're not we're not perfect. We've made mistakes before the organization. None of our guys are uh, perfect. We don't pretend to be. Uh, but I can tell you that our membership cares about our country. We're concerned about the direction our country is heading. And uh, we that's why we have the organization here. We're going to try to educate and inform Canadian citizens about what is happening to them, what's happening at the at the global level, uh, and how these the the Marxists they're attacking all all aspects of of Western society in our country. So we're we're trying to protect uh, Canadian sovereignty, um, but you know due to the nature of our previous training, you know the government is dying to call us like a militia or a paramilitary organization. So we have to be very uh, careful about what we do. And, and what we say, and um, they uh, <clears throat> they already took a <clears throat> excuse me the first shot across our bow back in May of last year. We had uh, the Middle Eastern Media Research Institute, which is a Mossad backed uh, government think tank. <clears throat> excuse me, that usually focuses on Middle Eastern issues. Write some report about us and calling us a bunch of terrorists and anti government uh thing and and then national post wrote about it on the first of june adrian humphreys wrote about it and said yeah these are who they are they're this they're blah blah blah. they attacked jeremy Mackenzie. they, they yeah. attacked <clears throat> in canada they attacked uh, a bunch of like groups and it's like you that they're, they're that's we just care about our country we're patriotic veterans who care about our country it's just a bunch of nonsense but again they're trying to tar and feather anyone who pushes back against the Against the establishment, but you know, how did that happen? How did the how did memory, all of a sudden, get an idea to write a report about Canadian veterans and 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 them, you know, pushing back against a tyrannical government? I'm not people like, oh, you're anti-government, you want to overthrow? No, I'm not. I'm anti-bad government. I'm Mm anti-government overreach. All right, but I'm pro-good government.
0: No, hundred percent. And I really dislike that they label people like that. And the Anti-Hate Network is another group that's really active in that. Um, and look, um, RCMP, CSIS, uh, OPS, and the Parliamentary Police Services or Protection Services, I think it's Protection Services, um, uh, PPS, they have really bad intelligence and really bad information. Uh, OPP with the Hendon report was far more accurate and, and far closer to what the real reality was. And we learned all of this during the uh, the, the POEC, that OPP really seemed to have known, they knew what was going on quite well. They didn't know everything, but they were far closer to the, the truth. But yet you had all these other organizations, our CMP, et etc., with wildly inaccurate information. And that's what we learned during the POEC. This is not an allegation that I'm making here. This is the evidence that we saw in the POEC. So from a military standpoint, I know you're on the operations side for this, but what about the intelligence side and how did that get so bad? Was it just one group feeding misinformation, you think, or is it just disorganized or are they just incompetent? Now, I really want to stay away from those last two because the OPP had no problem coming up with the real information with their hand in reports. So why did we have two two groups of information opp and then everybody else um and what do you think caused that one to be so misinformation or even disinformation and possibly even malinformation uh because it's just so grossly uh wrong that uh, they're even using force against people what do you think caused that like on a on a um on a structure level uh for military intelligence uh canadian intelligence uh, national intelligence how did that get that so wrong you think it was seated or they were just incompetent?
1: Yeah, it's look. look I, I, I'm in the middle of writing a letter to uh Peter Slowly that I've communicated with his lawyer. Uh, that he's going to get the, the letter into the hands of Peter to have a read about because I completely disagree with a lot of the stuff he was saying at the Public Order Emergency Commission, I was there firsthand there was no like coordination between Ottawa and ambassador bridge and coots. Like it just wasn't happening. That's untrue. I was going to give it, give him sort of my perspective of why people were there, whether he sees it or reads it or cares or responds, doesn't matter. Uh, But I'm going to get that out to him. But look, I I don't envy, uh, the position that the police were in chief slowly, uh, the OPP and that sort of thing. This was something unheard of. They did not know how to deal with it. The resources, and from the intelligence uh, side, look, I, I've consumed a ton of intelligence when I've been overseas, but I, I'm not an intelligence analyst or intelligence operator, intelligence officer, but I've consumed a lot and I've worked with CSE teams and intelligence people. I've had special sec- uh, special access security clearance and that sort of thing. Uh, it's tough, right? Like intelligence is is very tough um and a lot with a lot of the open source stuff they get and communications it's it's not it's not uh it's not an easy job for them to get an accurate report out to a commander or whoever uh, for them to sort of analyze that but from my understanding is that the rcmp is sort of they're heavily influenced by the fbi there's a lot of communication lines in between those two Uh, organizations, and, and Donald cr- can correct me if I'm wrong, but the, 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 the FBI you can see in the United States is very corrupt. I would say the RCMP here in Canada is very corrupt, and it's about sort of narrative control and, and what they're putting out. Like I can give you a perfect example is CSIS. We know, our organization knows that CSIS, public safety, RCMP, and CBSA had a round table on November 22nd of 2022 about strategies against IMVE. So IMVE is Ideologically Motivated Violent Extremists. So they had a whole discussion, they had an undersecretary come up from the United States to talk with those organizations uh, about IMVE. They also spoke with Canadian think tanks, the McDonald Laurier Institute and some others to sort of strategize about IMVE. When we put in our uh, tip a- uh, Access Information and Privacy, about that meeting, they came back and they said, no, no, that, that meeting never took place. Public safety said, no, it never took place. CISA said never took place. But we know that it did. Like We 100% know that those meetings took place. Mm-hmm. So why are they denying it? What are they trying to hide? So I would say that a lot of the intelligence failures were coming from uh, the RCMP, um, but also you know, certain units and organizations that are working together, they don't like to share intelligence. One has sort of one narrative that they're running with. The other one has another sort of maybe what's on the ground and what's happening. So unless there's, you know, those, those different police organizations or whatever working together, there's probably some differences of uh, opinion. But I, I won't it's a tough job to get accurate information. There's so much information out there, so much uh, uh, you know information saturation. It's a tough job for those guys. So that's what I would assume. I'd say that the RCMP had a narrative that they were pushing because they are a corrupt organization, and you know the, the actual on the ground commander, on scene commanders are going to look at everything. But you know they're they're just yeah. It's I don't know. why I can't say too much about it. It's tough, and and Donald will have a better sort of grasp on, on police intelligence and, and how they work and how they corroborate and share information.
0: Well, one, one of the things, and I'll get to you right in a second, Donald, one of the things we did get out of the POEC was the PMO's office. They were the ones that were going through what they call open source information, which is social media. So they kept referring to open source, open source, open source, um, which was nothing more than Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, all those together, which... There's no vetting. Anybody can post whatever they want, as we know. But they kept referring to open source information. Now, hopefully, they stopped doing that and and they they get better at it. But it looked like it may have been coming out of the PMO over to Lucky down into the RCMP. And then from there, it it just got propagated as fact or intelligence. But it looks like it may have come out of the PMO because they're the ones that were doing the open source information now donald you want to go ahead and address oh sorry go ahead drew
1: yeah sorry just just to to, just to mention that open source is actually very good there's a lot of it it's very good uh a lot of the accurate information that our guys uh when i was my my last appointment was 2016 2017 northern africa eastern med uh black sea a lot of the stuff we were getting there was open source uh in those reports and they had the you know cdc teams going so it, it can actually be good if you can filter it down and 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 get sort of the, pull the accurate information from there, because too many of these people just run their mouths online and they use social media and that sort of thing. It's I think I can't remember the number. Of my last Intel who I was working with said, but I want to say like eighty or ninety percent of the intelligence they got was from open uh, source, uh, open or OSINT or open source intelligence. So it is there and i but the thing is i know because i before i got into recruiting i was a senior watch officer for joint task force central which is ontario and i went mm-hmm. to the OPP or the yeah it was opp headquarters in aurelia and i talked to the their uh they have like a, a watch a 24 7 watch where they actually have hired civilians who get on there who are like experts in social media and they scrape uh, social media to find out information, what's happening, whether someone's going to be violent or domestic abuse or whatever, and they have the tools to be able to do that. So I wouldn't d- discount, uh, open source intelligence, uh, altogether, but it, it is, a, it's very tough, right? It's not like electronics intelligence or human intelligence, or, you know, when they're, they're listening to a phone call where they actually hear the people saying what they're going to do. Uh, so I wouldn't discount it fully, but uh, because of the actual abundance of intelligence coming in, it is very hard to actually get down to the uh, to the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you're not wrong. Like there is value in all of the uh, sources of information, including open source. But the challenge comes in when, if you're being objective and you're looking at it, and you're like, okay, ninety nine point nine percent of all messages are nonviolent, not calling for violence, actually calling for peace, actually calling for conversation. And then point one, uh, somebody said, throw a snowball, uh, let bullets fly, and uh, let's go get them. And then they go focus in on those and say, well, that represents everybody. That's where the trouble comes in. It's was cherry picking the information to fit some sort of narrative. So, yeah, they absolutely had a tweet or a Telegram or a Facebook post that looked violent but they're not contrasting it to the 99.9% that said free food for the homeless. Uh, Stop honking your horns at a certain time. Make sure that we're not doing these things. Keep that ambulance lane open. Uh, Make sure that you guys are looking out for these type of people. And, oh, here's somebody that was really acting weird. Like the actual open source didn't didn't lead to a, a violent anything, but yet they cherry picked those little ones. The Hendon report didn't do that. The OPP report didn't do that. They were far more broad. They said mostly harmless is basically what they said there. Um, But yet you had a complete other intelligence group that had the complete other uh, uh, narrative. They said mostly dangerous. Um, That's weird how how that actually happened when it's the same open source source for them to be using. Now, Donald, I think you wanted to throw a comment in here.
2: It's not strange that that happened (laughs) because it, it, it is not strange because uh, intelligence reports are often crafted to impact the reader. Ah, scripted almost. They're they're often crafted, and what I mean is they're almost propaganda. I have had people, when I was in the the intelligence organizations of policing, come to me and say, you wrote this report, would you mind putting this into it? Would you do this? Um, Leave that out of it. And this is often done sometimes for minor reasons, sometimes for major reasons. So I, th- I think Drew's absolutely right about the RCMP. It is totally corrupt and, and I'm talking organizationally. I'm not talking the guys and girls on the street, although that trickles down. But it's politicized. And we saw that we saw a wonderful example of that when Commissioner Brenda Lucky of the RCMP, came to the mass murder investigation in, down in uh, Nova Scotia, and she asked them to reveal evidence for a political purpose. She wanted to know because the government asked her what types of firearms were used. And she was willing to do that, compromise the investigation to achieve a political purpose for the federal government. And the investigators said no. And there was quite a conversation about that recorded and even afterwards. So, you know, th- I mean, that kind of, uh, politicalization and look at Coots, we've been through that photograph of the weapons and how it was staged and how the whole thing was used to, as a, as an excuse to justify the implementation of the emergencies act. So, you know, I, I say it again and again, once you have politics, entering policing intelligence the military any the justice system any of the foundations of our society or the institutions of our society it it, their purpose goes out the window and they become they become nothing more than uh, propaganda errand boys or thugs for the regime and that's exactly what has happened so you know as far as to say oh this report that report I have absolute confidence that some of the people who were crafting intelligent reports were doing it for propaganda and to also justify what they wanted the police to do later. 100%.
0: And the propaganda became a really bad problem. So the media was absolutely sending out incorrect information, likely from the same source that uh, the police were working with it. And uh, you heard things like Nazi flags, plural. But day one, first hour, uh, one flag, one camera crew just happened to be there to capture it all. We, we have some suspicions on the actual photographer of that picture. We have suspicions on the actual flag holder of that picture. But in either case, one flag, one day, one hour, um, and boom, that, that seems to be what they they used uh, all the way through the House of Commons. And Nazi flags Pluralize it like there was a whole whack there um so uh drew when it came to propaganda in the media they absolutely got this wrong and they still have this wrong is it causing first let's talk about how they were telling everybody that uh, the war monument was being desecrated the the uh, statue for for um oh my god i just drew a blank on him to- um not tommy come on very fox uh... Terry Fox, Terry thank Fox. you very much for that. For some reason, a little bit off there. Uh, Terry Fox was being desecrated. Uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier was being danced on. All of these things uh, were being put out there as propaganda. Now, first, did you hear it and were you concerned about that? Or did you know right away that it's no, probably not true? And uh, what did you think about that when you saw your own media really, really shifting this narrative incorrectly, but lying, full-on lying, and painting your fellow Canadians, even veterans, in that light?
1: Yeah, well, I haven't trusted the media probably for about, I'd say, five, six years. Um, and it all sort of came from, you know, I, I have a lot of American friends and the whole Donald Trump and fake news and what was happening down in the United States. And what I was sort of seeing online that while my friends were telling me uh, the truth, that's where I started to distrust uh, uh, mainstream media. So we knew, you know, I, I got there a week after the convoy arrived in Ottawa. I was like glued to the screen um, watching all the Viva Fry, uh, live streams and then watching what the mainstream media was saying. So there's the ground truth about what's happening on, on the ground. And then there's what the mainstream media, uh, is saying. And, and, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of propagandists bought off smear merchants. Right. So I wasn't surprised about, uh, what they were doing and they were how, how they were trying to portray the combat, that's just an aspect of, of warfare. And, and a lot of people, I should not say a lot of people, some people out there don't understand that we are in a war. It's a culture war or a spiritual war, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but it's the war for the Western way of life. Uh, we are being a full-on attack by the cultural Marxists, the elites, globalists, whatever you want to call them. They have all the power in the world. They have uh, control of academia, the technocrats, Main uh, the mainstream media and corporations, and it's a full on full court press against them to discredit anyone uh, who is pushing back against the narrative. You see, you know that's you know all the cultural Marxist attacks. Oh, you're anti-Semitic, or you're racist, or you're a bigot, or you're a misogynist, mm-hmm. and all that. We we did a great uh, podcast a couple months ago with a man named Stephen Kaufman, who was the J two, so that's the Joint Intelligence Officer to the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the United States. So the, that's who reports to the, the President, commander in chief down there. And he has it all broken down. It's on a rumble channel. It's called uh commie bastards TTPs. TTP stands for tactics, techniques, and procedures. And this guy breaks it all down. Who uh all the lines of effort or lines of attack that they're using with mainstream media, the insult, and it's a great podcast. And what we tell people is, you know, to be effective on the battlefield, you need to understand the battlefield and what's going on and what's happening to you. And that's sort of where we come in. We're trying to educate and inform citizens about what's happening. But it's just aspect of warfare, fifth generational warfare or or information warfare is a thing it has been around for 100 years. They've now weaponized uh, the online space to -hmm. implement that. There's psychological operations happening and people need to arm themselves with the truth. They need to do their own research. They need to educate themselves uh, about what's happening. But all that stuff at the convoy, like to me, I just laugh, right? Because it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is what they're doing. But a large portion of the Canadian population uh, bought into it because they still believe in, in, in mainstream media. They still think CBC is sort of telling us the truth and that sort of thing. And it's unfortunate, but you know, it's just the way it is. I'm like my parents alone, my parents are like good people. Uh, unfortunately, they're, they're teachers. So they're, in, they're, they're teachers in Toronto, so they're very liberal. But they had like the worst case of trump derangement syndrome syndrome i've ever seen mm-hmm. and you know my dad's who's a nice old guy was like man i hope someone kills him i want him to wow. die like that that's how wow. that's how brainwashed these people are because they just watch these you know cbc constantly so the more people that get off mainstream media and understand that the propaganda that they're pushing and they're just a, an arm of the federal government the better will be, but it's, it's easier said than done. And unfortunately the, the boomer generation is uh, a lot of them are just so stuck on CNN and CBC and that sort of thing. Uh, but again, it's just, again, tar and feathering discrediting the convoy. But if you were there on the ground, you know what the truth is. And it's just like cipher from the matrix. Once you know the truth, you're not, you're not asking to be plugged back into the matrix. You're not going That's back. Right. So the more people we awake, uh, about what's happening and how they're being deceived the better the better it is for everyone and that, like i said we just need to continue to educate and inform people about what's going on in our country
0: absolutely and the optics is a big thing too so when the government put the fencing around the war monument that was just for optics there it wasn't <laughs> in danger in any way shape or form there wasn't any damage to it but yet they put up this fence around it as optics now in incredibly quickly I, I guess you guys got together or one of you got together or something happened where there was a decision that this needs to be removed we're going to be proactive we're going to pull out some tools and put this fence away put everything together not a single bolt was lost i had this conversation with alex on that it was incredibly respectful uh, nobody caused any trouble uh, but now as a veteran when you saw that and you heard about that that the government is stepping up to protect the war monument from crazy people who are causing damage. What went through your head? And uh, did that upset you in any way, shape, or form? And then were you there when the fence came down?
1: Uh, no. So I wasn't there when the fence uh, came down, um, but the majority of veterans were. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of mixed on that. Like, I can understand that if they they believed that it was being desecrated um, and there was people you know, dancing on the gray, uh, the tomb of the unknown known soldier and that sort of thing. I can understand where they say, okay, look, we need to bring in a fencing just to protect this monument, just in case, right? It's just a measure to put in, like we don't want anyone like spray painting or, or whatever. So I can understand where that came uh, from. And, you know, if if I was sort of believing the propaganda I, uh, on the ground level, I, I'd probably do the same thing. Like, look, we need to protect our, our war monument because it is very important. Um, but then, when they took the fence down, and a bunch of our guys there were talking to the police, they, they maintained a twenty four seven vigil or a, or a watch on that war memorial uh, for the rest of the the convoy. So, you know, it I, I can understand where they're coming from um, uh, from that perspective. But you know, it it once our guys were there and they maintained the the watch there, nothing else happened. You, you don't want the war memorial to be used as a as a political tool and i think a lot of people saw this as a political uh protest or like a conservative right-wing uh protest like in my opinion that wasn't the case but Mm. um it it just it just is what it is and uh there was nothing else that happened to the the memorial uh after that from from my understanding because there was always vets there guarding it all day all night so um, yeah, I, like I said, I can understand where they're coming from to try and protect that that monument. But, you know, it's like, they are trying to everything's a political game to them, right? So they, you know, like, we we went and did a, a rolling thunder or whatever, uh, in our operation dignity at the war Memorial after. And then you have friggin, that previous uh, governor general, uh, Oh, I forget her name. I don't know why. But she came out with an article calling us a bunch of ignorant, uh oh, I forget the name she used. It was yeah, she called us a bunch of ignorant people for for having an event at the um uh war memorial. And it's like, who are you to tell someone like Chris Deering um about uh you know about his service to the country and what he can and can't do. She hasn't picked up like the, the governor governor general is just a it's just a, it's a it's a waste of money in my citizen. opinion. It's just a waste of money.
3: Yeah, it's a ceremony. Yeah, but it, role it's like, thinking.
1: yeah, it's it's just they consume. Yeah, it was Adrian Clarkson. It was Adrian Clarkson who came out and wrote this article attacking our guys, and and we're happy that the Epoch Times let Tom Quiggin and Chris Deering do a rebuttal article uh, to her. But who is she? Right. She she's like this wealthy aristocrat that you know made it her family made a ton of money. We have one of our members who's actually related to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's just like, oh my god, these people like these elites and the, the bourgeoisie and these uh you know oh we're so better, like we're so much better than everyone. Give me a break, lady. Right? Like I understand your position, everything you've done, and, and that, but it's a ceremonial position. Um, and if you Think in your that ceremony position you can talk down to actual war veterans and that sort of thing uh, i got a problem with that, right so uh you know it's it, it is it is what it is and uh but just these people like and, and we see it like i i you know i, I was looking at some of the comments and some of the twitter posts or videos or whatever about tomorrow lich right and you know when people attack you know the people protesting on the hill and that sort of thing these people are like, oh, look, not a high school diploma among them. Look at them. Oh, look at her. She's having a cigarette. And they, they these like people just think these Canadian citizens who think they're so much better uh, than everyone else. And they just talk down to them all the time. Oh, I'm an educator. I, I got my uh, uh, degree in gender studies and I'm just so sophisticated. I mean, Give me a break. Give me a break. I'm getting tired of this uh, this stuff. And we, we try not to punch down. We try to only punch up. We focus on the government, academia mainstream media, large corporations and that sort of thing. But I'm getting sick and tired of these people like the bourgeoisie and these like people who just think they're oh, I'm so intellectual. I'm so enlightened and everything. And I'm just getting tired of it because I'm going to start, you know, I don't want to <laughs> consume my time, but I start letting loose on these people. That, that's why Jeremy McKenzie is is great he's a he's a, a friend of mine. Uh, he's not everyone's uh, cup of tea, but he just goes after these people. Like, who are mm-hmm. you? I don't care if you have a, you know three degrees in your doctor. Who are you to talk down to uh, you know, fellow Canadian citizens? Oh, look, great ten dropouts, whatever. You want to know what a lot of infantry members are of the Canadian Armed Forces? They're great ten dropouts. We will take you, if you have a great ten education and you can pass the Canadian Forces aptitude Test, we'll take you. And these people just sit there and they just talk down to people. It just drives me crazy. Like, oh, sorry, I'm going on a rant now. It no problem. Me, but. It, it's it's give me a break. And, and we did a really good video last year called Canada Divided and we sort of laid out who the troops were on the battlefield and the different sort of groups. And then, you know, you have like the woke warriors or or, you know, on one side and the Patriots and this sort of thing. And then we were like, OK, we're going to follow up, follow this up with a Canada United videos like, OK, this is where we are. This is what we need to do to get to Canada United. But after seeing all these people online and the people who harass people and go and counter protest these events and stuff, unfortunately, in my opinion, like, I don't think we're coming back uh, from this—the the schism or the chasm, of, like the divide that we have in our country. I just I, I don't think we're going to be a united uh, country again, unfortunately, um, and it's it's sad because we had this once great country. And all it's taken is, you know, it's communism, cultural Marxism, communism, it just takes, this is what they do. They divide people um, and they turn around they make uh, you hate your fellow citizen and they've done a great job at it. And unfortunately, I just, I don't think we're going to come back from it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's a tough position to be in, especially when the divide is so deep. It's a chasm. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, But that's where bridges come in place. So maybe there's some bridges that can be built. Uh, You guys know how about no, all about putting a bridge down when you need one um so i'm going to keep a little bit more optimism here drew i'm going to, I'm going to let you know on, on a couple of things that i think are coming down that might help unify us and unfortunately they're all pain related um so uh vaccine harm i think that that's going to become such a thing that all a lot of those people on the other side are going to eventually start to realize that they may have been poisoned the government just like the military discovered and we can also get into that one with alex cabana stuff Um, but maybe enough on that side wake up on that one there's the uh, sexualization and normalization of pedophilia for children that particular issue is non-political that one is actually upsetting people on all sides and all religions so that might be another one so additional to the vaccine harm we got the sexualization of children and now the pending uh, economic collapse that uh, uh, definitely all the indicators are there they've been there for quite some time so their pocketbooks are, are going to get hit so if if you're just looking at it from a strategic like zoom out a bit uh, there's going to be your health is a concern your children is a concern and your pocketbook is a concern with all three of these coming together over the next 18 months or so, there might be a bridge, a few bridges. Uh, one of those bridges might be people who harmed and we need to help them because our side would be the side that helps. Even if we weren't harmed or we were harmed, we would still open-arm help them. Uh, maybe there's a bridge there to protect the children because they're absolutely fed up with the ideology and the progression towards the normalization of pedophilia. And then when they can't even feed themselves anymore, Bread is 10 times the price it used to be, and you start to see the economic impacts of this Marxism. That might be enough bridges where enough people are are crossing that chasm to us where we become a vocal majority. I I still think we're the majority, but a vocal majority is is where we need to get on that. What do you think about maybe there might be some, some possibility that because we're under so much pain in many different fronts, uh, we may be getting to factors from the other side coming to our side and being vocal about it because the more vocal we get i think the more people will cross that bridge. What do you think about that that assessment?
1: Yeah, that, that that's a good assessment. I guess I just got uh, like rambled on a bit and ranted on because i see uh, all these people online social media talking down to you know uh, you mm-hmm. know general blue collar workers and stuff like that within our country. So, yeah, i, I didn't want to come cross too much as a as a black pillar but uh yeah i I saw donald made a comment here yeah f-150 trucks uh that are on like all these guys like i'm up in Minden, ontario so two hours north of uh um toronto and my neighbors are contractors and sheet metal workers and roofers and everything those guys make six figures no problem and they Mm -hmm. and and my, my one next door neighbor he is a 10 grade 10 dropout he dropped out went to do uh roofing that guy has a hundred acres. He has a beautiful house. He built it all himself. He has tons of money. He has toys. He has, you know, boats and backhoes and all sorts of things. So yeah, Donald's a hundred percent, right. It's these blue collar workers who actually get out there and work hard who are helping keep our, our country going. And I, I agree with the food pricing. Uh, I agreed with the food price, uh, the cost of food. That's what I say in some of my speeches that I've gone out and say, look, you know, when you go and talk to people and you're, community like people who maybe aren't awake don't start with you know klaus schwab and the world economic forum but if you can start on uh you know cost of gas or or food prices and and that sort of thing that's actually a good good uh good start and then you can talk about those other issues later and and with us our strategic level guidance we've given out has been localism will counter globalism. And then local change will have national impact. So we encourage our members Mm -hmm. to go out and get involved locally in their community. And I've done that myself and another guy in in our county, Halliburton County. We started a uh, sort of community building and food security group, and we thought we were going to get 10 or 20 people uh, involved. You know, all of a sudden we're at 150 members. We get together once a month at a, a local church and we talk about how we can help each other you know food security community building we've now started we're in our we just finished our second month we had a big potluck dinner getting together uh conversing you know spending time together and it's great and that's what we need to do and that group's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger and it's all about helping each other growing our own food and we don't talk about you know vaccines or 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 any of that stuff but we just focus on the community building aspect which is again that trickles down from our sort of strategic level guidance which will local change will have national impact now so a look at our group is growing it's great if if you can get these groups all across the country then like we said with the victory garden you're going to relieve some supply chain or uh, some pressure on the supply chain and already like one person you know who's a supportive organization her and her husband they have a massive their first time they have massive garden they've given us cucumbers everything they have so much food you wouldn't believe it uh so that's the sort of stuff that we can do uh and make inroads to uh to people and build that community because like like I said that that's what the sort of best strategy I think uh for alleviating some of the pressure uh and stuff that's our, that's coming our way. So yeah I, I agree there is I'm not saying there's no hope in the country. It it is a tough fight. Um, and, uh, we just have to work, uh, hard to try, try and counter the, the stuff that they're, they're ramming or they're stuffing down our throats.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, I do the same thing. So we homeschool, we homestead, we got the garden, we left Ontario, we got some property in the bush in Alberta. Here we are. Um, we recognized a long time ago that we need to be able to take care of ourselves. Being dependent on our government and even our neighbors was a challenge. So we wanted to be able to take on more ourselves and i also think there's a there's something coming down about home gardens uh in the states they've asked people or started to demand that people register their garden so that the government is aware of where the gardens are i find that peculiar why they're trying to do that and i i assure you that's going to be coming to canada because in canada we're already asking or telling people to register their wells so if you have a well dug the government wants you to register it And I'm sure at some point they're gonna come and make sure you did register it. And um, that makes me all concerned. Why do you care what I'm doing inside of my, my fencing here when it comes to sustaining myself with water and food? Why is it that you care so much about that? Um, so I'm, I'm concerned about that as well. And thank you for reminding us that uh, we need to do that. But also thank you for bringing your organization forward to bring that information as well. Um, I do want to ask you a bit, Drew, about some of the charity or, or the, the financial things that you're doing to help uh, organizations. I, I believe there's a couple that you've been helping. Uh, you want to go ahead and touch on that?
1: Yeah, so since our inception, I think we've, got over $100,000 into the hands of people in need whether it was you you know in funding truckers who had their trucks impounded or their vehicle trucks damaged and that sort of thing we we did a fair bit of uh, help there in getting the funds to to repay those guys uh you know we've we've raised a fair bit of money for Jeremy McKenzie who's being unfairly targeted by the state in my opinion and we've done a, we've just done all this different fundraising to try and help out people because Uh, It's like we say you shouldn't have to sell your house to defend yourself from a tyrannical government. So We we're we're trying to convince 10,000 Canadians to donate five dollars a month and basically it's a form of monetary populism is we have three initiatives every single month and then uh, uh, The donors get a ballot sent to them say here are the three initiatives. Where would you like to see your money go? and if you're fine, we can take 10% of the funds and give it to uh, a veteran organization. So, um, we, we, have to do a little bit better. I got to get out ahead of things and promote the, the initiatives prior to, and had to buy a damn selfie stick, even though I don't want to use it to do these videos, to, to talk about the sort of different initiatives for that month. So for the first month we had, um, which was July. Yeah. We had, uh, uh, Sheila Nett Lewis. We had uh, Pat King and we had uh, Shaba, the Romanian truck driver. So Sheila Nett Lewis won. I think she, I don't want to say won, but she received the most votes. We sent her off $1,300 or, or whatever it was. And then the second month, it was the family of Garnett Harper. I think for August, which the ballots are going out, it's going to be the Coutts four. Uh, and I forget who the other two off the top of my head. But basically, we don't take anything off the top. Nothing comes to our organization. It's a completely separate bank account um if you go up to fund you can see the previous entries for like july or june and july or or whatever it was and you can read you can see the actual bank statements that uh or bank transaction lists that we get directly from the banks you see the money coming in the money coming out and um it's completely transparent and i'm not trying to say you know the democracy fund or jccf hasn't done uh, good work, but they're—I don't think they're transparent uh, in their bank financials. Maybe they are, I don't know. Uh, but with us, we are—we share it all. It's like I said, completely separate bank account. We have a report that comes out every month because we need to bulwark around uh, the best we can uh, these people who are being unfairly targeted by the state. And I don't—I don't even care if it's some left-wing woke lunatic. If they're being unfairly targeted by the state, they need to be protected as well as far as I'm concerned, like this is something where we can all come together and if we, what's five bucks a month? A lot of it that's nothing, right? That's like a oat milk latte or whatever these people buy at Starbucks and um, so if we can get 10,000 Canadians given five bucks a month, if we get 100,000 Canadians given five bucks a month then we can start protecting these people I know uh, Sarah from Canadian Frontline Nurses I think she's coming up Mm -hmm. on the ballot in September she has like a a huge amount of legal fees, I think we have Kimberly Newdorf who was a Homeschooled, or homeschooling mom, I think she got fined like thirty-seven thousand um, dollars, and for 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 speaking out against the mandate. So this is all stuff where if we get enough people, if we get thousands and thousands of Canadians together, and we donate five bucks a month, we can start to protect ourselves. And hey, if nothing's happening for one month, we can build up a, a bit of a war trust. And if you know you have a group of patriotic uh, veterans or, or Canadians who want to sort of protect its citizenry from the state maybe the government will think twice about targeting people knowing that there's this nice war chest sitting by ready to help people um, if, if, if needed so that's what we're doing it's, it's a little bit of a lull right now in the summer a lot of us are, are focusing on our properties and sort of what we like to say building the arcs uh, uh, in our across the the country there just to sort of we want to try and rush before before the rain hits, uh, to get you know food security measures in place and and that sort of thing. But if we can get, just think about it, if we can get thousands of Canadians, like we could take. And and I know Pat, everyone's like, oh no, you fundraise for Pat King. Look, Pat King's not everyone's cup of tea. I get it, hundred percent. You know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But the fact is, he's in my opinion, he's not a criminal, and he's being unfairly targeted by the state. So I think us as Canadian citizens should should, should, should try and support that guy because it's. So what I said for Jeremy, I think it was in May of last year. I said, hey, look, it's Jeremy McKenzie today. It's you tomorrow. It's me the next day. They will continue to do this until we put mm-hmm. a stop to it. So that's where we hope this fund will really uh, blow up. We're going to do a better job at marketing it and doing videos and that sort of thing. Like, imagine if we have 100,000 Canadians getting five bucks a month. Then we can start to you know, pay Sarah from frontline nurses uh, legal fees, help Tamara, help whoever Uh, needs it uh, when they're being unfairly targeted by the state.
0: Thank you very much for uh, including Sarah on there. She was on the show. Amazing woman. And yeah, she's lost everything. She's losing her house. She's losing everything. uh, Only because she told the truth, stood up, and was courageous about it. That is 100% her crime. Uh, That's all she did. She stood up, was courageous, and was correct. Um, That was enough to get her to basically lose her house. And wow, it's an incredible story. So yeah, we had her on please go check that out. Uh, Kimberly. So you mentioned somebody named Kimberly, the homeschooling, she's got a bunch of fines as well. If you can connect us, I'd love to put her story on as well, because uh, I'd like to find out why they're going after her and how we can help as well.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, once someone sent that to uh, us, we, we get so much stuff sent to us and someone sent it to us and it was like $37,000 in fines. So there's a GoFundMe or a give Send, go. Um, so I'll put that in the link here, but, but I sent her an off e- email. I said, look, can we would you have any opposition to us putting your name up for this iteration of the fund in September, October? And she said he, she said, No. Now the fund's only about fifteen hundred bucks. So a lot of people are showing interest, but they're actually not signing up and with their you know credit cards and people are like, Oh, I don't I just want to pay cash. And it's like we can't really control mm-hmm. the the cash aspect because we just have to deposit into our accounts and then e-transfer it to people. So uh, if we could get you know, even if with our members, uh, if we get a couple thousand of our members given five bucks, that's a significant chunk of, of money. But I'll, I'll link you up with Kimberly. I have her, I have her email right here.
0: Great. No, thank you very much. I'd like to get her on and get, get her story out there.
1: Uh, one thing you can
0: suggest <clears throat> to people to do for cash is to tell them to create a cash pod, which is a bunch of people that put cash to one person who will feel comfortable using their credit card. Um, so you could have 10 people that don't want to use a credit card, but one that's comfortable, uh, and then they can just give it to them and put it up. So a bit of a cash pod. I understand the paranoia there about not using their own stuff. That's unfortunately something that works really well about the EA is they scared a lot of people about financially contributing uh, through donations and and. In bank account. Uh, We need to not comply to that one. We need to stop worrying about that one uh, and and continue to use our financial institutions the way we need to and continue to do uh, fundraising electronically. We need to not let that particular narrative continue to take hold. That one is really deep-rooted. I even get that for political contributions. People are very worried about giving me a political contribution because of that. Uh, We need to I think maybe make that one of our missions here, Drew, is to get rid of that particular uh, fear because that's absolutely slowing down fundraising for defenses. And when you're in a country and you're being politically prosecuted, this is why we have our morning show about political, uh, pro- uh, pl- political prisoners is we still have to fund our own defense. The, the prosecution mm-hmm. is using our tax dollars. So they have an unlimited war chest. We, the people have to fund it ourselves. We don't get to use tax money. So, Having the government come in like that and really put it into people's head that you, you shouldn't be donating electronically, we need to fix that one because it's a real big deterrent and it's really really hurting the bottom line here. Um, we raised ten million twice. We can't even get a hundred thousand going now because of the paranoia, uh, and we yeah. do have people like Pat that need some help.
1: Yeah, and and we have um, uh, we have some pretty switched on IT and security guys. Uh, who are doing the sort of ballots and everything it's all client side it can't be hacked Uh, then we have three-step you know the the uh, stripe account is those three-step authentication on there Uh, so they can't get into the the stripe account and it's all client side. we have like some really really switched on uh, guys doing the security and if you go into the fund page and you read the faq he actually lists the security protocols that they have in place so um, I wouldn't be too worried uh, about that of being hacked or, or, or whatever. And you're just fundraising to give money to, to other Canadian citizens. And, and, you know, I started the give, send, go for <clears throat> Helen Groose to get her uh, some money to pay for her lawyers. Now, I, d- I don't know uh, Helen Groose. I haven't talked to Helen Gruse. Um, and I was just doing some coordination uh, through to her, through her lawyers, but that give send go has done very well. I think it's up, 11 or twelve thousand that you know we need more uh but what's good is i'm actually handing that give send go off to someone one of her friends someone who knows her and can provide updates to the give send go because like i said i don't know her um mm-hmm. and but now you know she's been put in a really tough uh situation um, where she has to pay for her own uh legal defense but what's great is one of her friends i don't know the name of her yet i haven't uh, talk to her, but she's going to be taking over that give send go and and really sort of provide updates to the the trial and and what's happening in, in Helen's own sort of personal situation. So, uh, which is great um, to get that over to someone who actually knows uh, Helen and and knows the situation that uh, she's in. But again, there you have someone from my you know I've, I've followed Donald uh, for his sort of updates on what's happening here, but then you have someone pushing back against. A corrupt system, and they're being punished for it, and they have to pay for pay for mm-hmm. it all themselves. Like it's just ridiculous. And and Jeremy McKenzie, another perfect example of a guy who, again, not everyone's cup of tea. I'm I personally friends with him, and I, I like uh, him. Mm-hmm. He makes me laugh and the stuff he does, but not everyone does, which is which is understandable. But that guy, he would have had to sold his house to pay for his legal defense, and you already have a couple of charges dropped, and you mm-hmm. know. You're going to have, I expect more charges dropped, but who's going to pay for his $200,000 in lawyer fees for this sort of thing? Like, like that. <laughs> it just can't believe this is happening in our country. It's very, very, uh, it's very sad to see, to have our citizens being targeted by the, by the state.
0: And look, uh, Jeremy McKenzie is a very unique situation, a very serious one. And he's also a friend of the show. We, we, we do support him, but here's what people don't really know. Uh, Morgan may his girlfriend she just had her charges stayed or dropped yesterday and her charges were for uh, allegedly not paying for 69 dollars and 10 cents worth of gas now look whether she did it or not is not really the point the point is she spent four days in solitary confinement over this and there's no place in canada where stealing even if you did do it on video whatever Stealing $69.10 where the gas puts you into solitary confinement. So the only way to go ahead and find yourself in solitary confinement over petty theft. And again, she, I, I don't think she did it. I think she's completely innocent, but I want to highlight the only way to go from petty theft to solitary confinement is to have an intimate relationship with someone like Jeremy McKenzie, who's being targeted by the state. So it's not even just him. They're going after his circle and the people around him and putting his girlfriend in solitary confinement for four days where she wasn't even allowed to bathe. She wasn't allowed to do anything. She was being psychologically tortured simply because she uh, connected with a a good man because he is a good man. So look, Jeremy got rid of two of them out of five. He's got three more to go. I think he's going to do great because the two biggest ones, the gun charges, which were dropped and the um, uh, assault charges in Saskatchewan, which were also dropped. um, I think this is indicating to a lot of people that, yeah, There was a lot more going on. And Drew, I don't know if you know about the 1,100 pages yet that are going to be coming out of Jeremy, but they did their freedom of information request. And what we learned was uh, there were police officers in the intelligence agency saying, guys, why are we listening to Anti-Hate Network? This is really weird. Why are we following this information? It doesn't even check out. So within the intelligence, there were some people pushing back, but they were silenced. So I think Jeremy has got some of those receipts and he's going to bring that out. And we're going to start seeing some of this, how our intelligence agencies themselves internally had conflict on on what was going on. And I'm glad to hear that because if they were all brainwashed, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, But it was a top down type of thing. So, Donald, I'm going to come back to you here. Uh, Now, we're we're, I think the dam is breaking. So Jeremy, two out of five are dropped. He's pushing hard on the other one morgan dropped um i have a good feeling about tamara and chris we'll see what happens here but if that is dropped or they're found innocent or the charges are withdrawn or whatever do you think we're we're seeing a bit of a cascade now you're my most pessimist friend that i have on this but do you think if enough of these dominoes drop that we can get some more trust back into the system because we're exposing it and holding some people accountable or do you think they're just going to sweep it all away even if these dominoes keep dropping
2: well, first of all, I, I come by my pessimistic side honestly. You yeah, know that. I love you. Six, Sixty-three <laughs> days in solitary confinement does make you a pessimist. Um, sure. Anyway, look, these charges were all laid politically, for political agendas. I think we we can agree on that, can't we? All Canadians yeah. can agree that that when we when we put people in jail for four days for apparently stealing gasoline except the charges are dropped so she didn't do it yeah or to be clear we,
0: not only dropped but there was no evidence the the crown had nothing, no evidence nobody, yeah because it didn't happen
2: e- exactly exactly and we've got you know uh an accused cop killer out on the street in bail in toronto but four guys out in coots are still rotting in jail for 560 whatever it is 571 now. today 571 okay so, but here's, here's the catch. They laid these charges, they, them generally across the country and to do with the convoy, they laid them for political purposes when they didn't have enough evidence. Mm-hmm. They created evidence, they pushed evidence, they made the narrative into evidence. They used it for propaganda purposes like that, that table full of, uh, rifles at coots so many many of these charges were laid without the legal foundation without the evidentiary foundation to back them up and now we're coming to trial now we're coming to court there will be many more charges withdrawn all mass even like in alberta Mm -hmm. there will be many more where the police are going to be so embarrassed what's in the envelope jason What's in the envelope?
0: Freedom. <laughs> yeah. Freedom is in I'm envelope. I'm talking
2: about the, uh, for, for those who don't know, the, yeah. in the Cootes uh, case, there is an envelope which was previously sealed. And the defense has said about the envelope and about the Crown prosecutor that the Crown prosecutor is now a witness and may be a defendant in a criminal action. But the envelope has a clue judges is uh, said he's going to read what's in the envelope what is it well i hope we find out very soon
0: yeah i'd like to see chris tony chris and jerry get out on bail at least um and also have the opportunity to clear their name because it's been smeared for, for sure um yeah so thank you very much uh, drew you have the coots men on your next one uh, I'll be signing up as a member. My wife will sign up as a member. I'm sure Donald will, will get on there as well, contribute that 5 bucks a month. Yeah, and I encourage everybody listening at any point, whether it was live or otherwise, go and contribute that, that $5. If we get 100,000 Canadians standing up, you start to really move the needle. If you get a million Canadians standing up, you really start to worry the other side. And I would like to maybe see somebody take the initiative to come up with a, uh, I don't know, let's call it... Um, uh donation defense fund where if you are bank frozen or anything like that happens, there will be somebody there to help you out. So you don't get paranoid that um your your account could be touched. So kind of like how when there's you're using a lock from a company and if your bike is ever stolen is a ten thousand dollar little insurance policy on it. Maybe somebody should put together a donation defense fund where that will defend anybody who's being uh, targeted over a donation they contributed. That way we can open up that floodgate again so people are not so concerned. Uh, Somebody needs to stand up on that front. I I would like to see that happen. Now, Drew, thank you so much for your time today. I I would absolutely uh, ask that you can come back again in the future. We'll see how things are going. um, How are your funds going? How's the membership going? Um, Would you like to come back again sometime and and maybe give us an update?
1: Yeah, sure. You guys. Then uh, you can go through my handler, Bethan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> shout out to <laughs> She's Bethan, great. love um, yeah. yeah, her and I talk on a on a fairly regular basis. So yeah, I, I'll come and speak uh, whenever. Uh, we can also get our, our podcaster Jeff Lee, to come on, and I, I think I think maybe four or five E for F members testified at the NCI. So I think we have some of our guys going to be coming up on your uh, your show in in the near future. Mm-hmm. Good uh, good people. Uh, so yeah, you guys can have me back whenever you want. I got like a face for radio and a monotone voice, but if people like <laughs> listen to what I have to say and providing some insight on some of the some of the issues, I uh, I don't mind. And and I'll plug one other thing um, is the the veteran group. There, there's there's something we have called the Global Veterans Coalition GVC. I think it's GlobalVeterans dot org is the website, and every month we you know we have american veterans we have dutch we got german we got brits we got new zealand and every month we put together sort of a a, a report a country from ever further from the respective countries and put it all in this this big report for people to download uh and read and the interesting thing like i think it's pretty valuable because um the interesting thing you can see is that everything that's happening in canada it's it's happening in all the other Western countries and all other allied nations. So they're coming from this playbook of like how we're gonna you know, break the middle class down and you know transfer the wealth up to the, the elites and that sort of thing. And it's very, it's it's there's some good reports. We're gonna do, I think, a webpage overhaul in the next uh, week or so and we're gonna have more countries added uh there. But it's it's very interesting to see what's happening across the countries and and all of these veteran groups were we're, were all very concerned. Like I said, we've got Dutch vets, American vets, and we're getting there. Like, what is happening uh, to our countries? And it's uh, it's pretty sad to see. But we again, we have to continue to educate and try and inform people uh, about about what's happening, and and just trying to wake up the the sleeping, you know, the large majority of the population who I think are just sort of sleeping, and they they can't comprehend how far these people are willing to go to implement their global enslavement plan. Like you think they don't care about people's lives, right? They they do not care whatsoever. These people, I, I just refer to them as demons and the population of our countries, they they, they need to be aware of of who these people are and, and the lengths that they're willing to, uh, to go to to implement their plan. So uh, that's pretty much it for me. I really appreciate uh, Uh, you have me on. And finally, you know, Donald and I have uh, talked a little bit uh, back and forth through email. So uh, happy to be on and finally uh, meet you and talk to you face to face.
0: Thank you so much, Drew. It's a pleasure. And yeah, go ahead, Donald.
2: Um, Drew, your message about self-sufficiency and building communities, but changing things globally, I think that's the really core message I take from you each and every time. Thanks for that
0: yeah and there's one question that's that i I overlooked i do want to get in for you here drew it's just one if you don't mind it's from island jason a really great friend of the show here uh what does drew think about james top not getting any respect from mps when he got to ottawa this is a big problem the james top disrespect is a huge problem
1: yeah so so a couple things there yeah we were obviously heavily involved with james and march across the country including a lot of our uh, members marching with him, uh, including us, raising a lot of money for for James and his and his trek. Look, James. I, I so my personal perspective is I don't think we're going to vote our, our way out of this problem provincially or federally, right? So that that's just my own personal perspective. So don't pay too much attention to like, well, oh, said there's this. Like, okay, that's that's fine. They're, those people aren't going to put food on my uh, table. That's what I'm focusing on right now. Mm. But the fact is, is that James actually got to sit down and talk to MPs and senators. Right, he succeeded where the trucker convoy didn't succeed. Not a not not a fault of the trucker convoy uh, whatsoever. But he actually got to sit down, had meetings with Don Plett, I think the the senator, the conservative senator. So we actually got to get together and meet and talk to these people. So I think the fact that they were willing to. Sit down, and just hear him out. Uh, uh, was important. um You know, the liberals, the NDPs, the Greens—they're not going to talk to a, a decorated uh, a war veteran. It's just—it's not going to—it's not going to happen. So the fact that the conservatives mm-hmm. are willing to speak to him—that's uh, great. So uh, and Paulie have marched with him. I think, yeah, that's right, he did. Um, so so whatever. Now, now, Jane, just a quick update on James. So you know, a bunch of our members talk to him on a regular basis. I talk to him on a semi-regular basis. He's not saying anything. Are coming out in the public eye at all until his court martial, which is on the sixth mm-hmm. of November, and okay. then he's sort of going to decide what he's going to what he's going to do from there. Um, but I, I spent a lot of time with James and talking to him and and, and planning for uh, his arrival in Ottawa. Um, James is a good man. He is yeah. a good man. He's not vindictive. He's not an ego man maniac or all these other things that people call him he's a good man he's very uh experienced and you know i wish that guy nothing but the best i have all the time in the world uh for him and what he did and i I hope he gets back uh into the fight Now, if if he doesn't that's his choice not going to hold it against him but uh you know he's he's an older guy like i think he was like 52 years old i believe uh and that track took a lot uh out of him it was really hard on his body um but that being said, not to talk push another sort of fundraiser. But we we do have James Top prints for sales uh, on our on our store shop And and um, he is he he. And I know that he burned through a lot of his savings um, to you know pay for fuel and hotels and that sort of thing as he's coming across the uh, uh, coming across the country. But we do with our friend Yan, we do have two hundred and fifty limited edition and prints of him touching the the tomb there and out of that you know we had to buy this printer and ink and paper but every hundred dollars of the the sort of prints that sell will go to james so we're hoping to raise him twenty two thousand five hundred dollars if we sell all 225 of them uh we gave him five and there's another 20 that we're sort of giving away but we're going to try and help replenish his savings that he had you know saved all those years that he burned through and marching across the country. And, and they're beautiful prints. I have one here. Um and uh James is aware that we're doing this for him. Like I said, uh we talked to him on a regular on a regular basis, but we're hoping to get twenty two thousand five hundred dollars into his bank account to help him replenish his uh uh savings.
0: And can you repeat the fundraiser for James Top? We're gonna get that for you.
1: Yeah, it's if you go to shop if you go to v 4 fca afford you the veterans for freedom.c oh, shop. Yeah, we have his uh we have his uh prints on there and we're only Jan is only making two hundred and fifty of them. James already has numbers one to five that he's giving. I believe he's giving some to his sister and and Christian and some of the other core people who helped them. Uh numbers six to twenty-five are for the people who marched with James across the country. And then there's 225 of them that are available to the public. So I think we're about halfway sold, if not more. Um, And it's just a thank you to, to, to James. And we're going to get that money into his, uh, uh, into his hands to help give him a bit of a relief from, you know, all the money that he burnt through when he wasn't working, Mm -hmm. uh, when he was marching across the country, I can confirm he is, he is working again, uh, which is great, but I know that he does, uh, Need some help. And it wasn't, just to put it on the record, it wasn't James asking us to do this or, or asking for money or that sort of thing. He's a very humble uh, man, but it's this initiative that we uh, took uh, uh, to try and get him uh, some help because I, I know that he did burn through all of his savings to march across the country.
0: Well, thank you to James. So November 6, we'll be waiting for that result. I hope that goes good. I hope uh, September, October, November, we're getting a lot of good responses out of the courts and uh, marshals and stuff like that. But thank you very much for that update. I didn't want to let the Jane top question go by. And thank you, Island Jason, for providing that question. And send some prayers out to Island Jason. He hurt his finger and last night had to go to the uh, emergency room over it. So Jason, we're sending you a bunch of prayers as well. So thank you for that. Uh, And then Donald, I'm just going to let you have the final word and we're going to wrap up because we got to get back to our day. we got lots of emails and things to address.
2: I think this was a great show, another great show. I'm so happy to see Canadians coming together and we see that in this network. It makes me optimistic that the pushback is working it's doing something and, and i'm just so grateful for that um, there were some dark times after that convoy and well i think the canadians are doing well let's just keep up the work
0: thank you and andrew from from the chat and from everybody else thank you for your service outside our country and thank you for your new service inside our country Uh, you're going to help bring back Canada. We're going to turn Donald into an optimist. Uh, We're going to build a few bridges and let those people get the help that they need and welcome with open arms. So thank you very much, Drew. It was an honour to have you on the show and we absolutely will have anybody that you bring to us that you think needs to get out there if they need some help to get their message out, especially if they're political prisoners, we will make sure that happens. So thank you, Drew, for your time and uh, I'm going to go get one of those prints before they're all gone. Um, I appreciate that. And thank you, uh, Donald, for being here. Lovely, lovely to speak to you again. Thank you both.